Hey guys, welcome to Carol's Coffee House, a place where Catholic singles in their 20s and 30s can grow in community and deepen their spiritual life. I'm Maura. I'm Sarah. Grab your favorite cup of coffee. Or tea. And let's get started. Hey Sarah, how are you this week? I'm good. How are you? I am doing really well. I have a date today, so that's pretty exciting. And we have a special guest, Erin Brown. Hello, guys. How's it going? We are so excited to have you here. That's what. <laughs> I'm pretty pumped. I haven't, like, stopped smiling since I logged on the Zoom. Oh, Erin, that's so sweet. <laughs> <laughs> How's your guys' weekends going? Going well. I have a date tonight, today, so that's going to be cool. Ooh, that's exciting. How's your weekends going? <laughs> I baked some blueberry scones last night and they look super messy, but they taste delicious. So they got it where it counts. <laughs> That's awesome. I mean, food needs to be delicious. So exactly. I'd rather have the, the substance over the style, you know? Yeah, yeah definitely. <laughs> definitely. I'm definitely a substance over style person. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I can appreciate the, the style, but I mean, if it's lacking the taste, I'm like, oh. Yeah, exactly. Better to have the fundamentals down. You know, you can dress it up later. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I had a surprise day off yesterday. Uh, My nanny family decided they wanted to go to the beach for the weekend. Mm -hmm. So I got the whole day off and it was glorious. I did absolutely nothing. Wait, no, that's not true. (laughs) Do you want to know what I did? Yeah, I do. (laughs) I watched the entire season of Shadow and Bone. (laughs) (laughs) How was, was it? I haven't watched that one yet. It's really good. It's it's a fascinating storyline. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. It almost reminds me a little bit of Pirates of the Caribbean, a little Ooh. bit. But yeah, it was a good fantasy kind of show. I started watching The Queen's Gambit. Okay. So good. It's so good so far. It's okay, so question. Because that's about chess. Chess. Right? Okay, if you don't play chess, like me, do you, but okay, but it's still really good. Yeah, like you I can mean, still enjoy. I, it. I I haven't played chess in years. I mean, I understand how to do it, but yeah. Okay, because I was wondering. I've seen you learn. You can learn how to play chess watching them. Well, the show. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, having binged through the whole series in about a weekend. Um, <laughs> And as not a chess player, I can say that the story is compelling enough that it hooks you anyway. And also it's about like a chess prodigy. So I don't, the show doesn't expect you to, to play chess at her level at least. So, which is good because again, not a chess player here, but yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. It's, it's a very gripping story. And then it's a really cool um, aesthetic to the show, like all the fashions and the, like the time period it's set and everything. Super the fashion cool. is so good. Mm-hmm. It's such a cool element because that it also show it's a helps you the timeline go. It indicates like okay, we're at this stage now, or like, and then her hair changing. It's like okay, she yeah. is the, she's getting older. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I watched oh late last night. I made the mistake of watching. It's a true crime little mini series on Netflix called The Hotel Cecil. It's about this girl who like seemed to have disappeared completely from the hotel nobody knows what happened to her it's like four episodes they go through the whole case it's at a hotel that has really bad history of Mm. bad things happening but anyway so this whole case is happening but it was insane how everyone was convinced that it was a huge cover-up 
it was very fascinating and I shouldn't yeah. have watched it late at night. Was- <laughs> <laughs> I have a rule that I only watch scary things during the day. Okay. Mm-hmm. I'm very bad at watching scary things. I remember when A Quiet Place, the first one came out, which I was super good. Movie. Yes. Oh my gosh. I loved it. I couldn't watch it on the full TV. I watched it on my computer screen. It was like <laughs> all the blinds open and like sunshine coming through the windows because I just couldn't handle the suspense otherwise. Okay. <laughs> I have an anecdote about mm. the first time I watched A Quiet Place. I saw it with one of my friends. It's called A Quiet Place, not Let's Talk During the Movie Place. Oh no. Were they talking? Yes. Oh, I hate that. Oh, I, oh, I was just like, he, he's just like commenting and then he's just like talking. He's not even whispering. He's nope. Talking. Nope. We're oh. in a movie theater. And then there's like, there's that tragic thing that happens at the beginning. He laughed. No. He laughed oh. at it. What kind of person does that? I was so mad at him. <laughs> Call again, or laughs at inappropriate parts. I'm like, like, we're gonna be quiet. We're not gonna ruin the atmosphere of the movie. Oh, that would drive me bananas. I would hate that. I'm not like anti like commenting during movies at all. I'm just anti talking during a quiet place, (laughs) (laughs) or laughing at really weird things. Like, Eric, you know what I'm talking about. I think that's a reasonable stand to take. Yeah. That was a really weird thing to laugh at. <laughs> oh, man. It? That was a good movie. I don't enjoy scary movies in particular either. I don't mind suspense. Mm. But I started it because it did get such great reviews. So I started, I was like, let's just see how far I can get. It was so good. Well, and I think I was able to watch it because the creatures in there are so far-fetched. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. it's not something that would occur. Like, it wasn't like a... Okay, like, for example, World War Z, where you have people who are being turned into zombies I in this see movie. It. Like, that's too realistic because they're humans that have mm-hmm. zombies. That's gross. I don't like that. But yeah, the creatures in The Quiet Place are so far-fetched that I was able to watch it okay. There. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm curious to see what happens in the second movie. Me too. Mm-hmm. Are you guys I'm ready to? Let's do it. I think so. Awesome. Now that we have these lovely images in our brains. <laughs> <laughs> our espresso shot today comes from St. Faustina. And she says, I see that God never tries us beyond what we are able to suffer. Oh, I fear nothing. If God sends such great sufferings to a soul, he upholds it with an even greater grace, though we are not aware of it. One act of trust in such moments gives greater glory to God than whole hours passed in prayer filled with consolation. I've definitely experienced that before where like if you've had a bad day or I don't know, you're just going through a really hard time and that expression, God never gives you more than you can handle. Mm-hmm. doesn't feel like it sometimes and I like how she <laughs> how she even says that he upholds it with an even greater grace though we are not aware of it yeah I this is an awesome quote there's so many layers in it I've been thinking so this year of work for me has been a huge struggle and really difficult but despite that I often forgot to like do the smart thing of bringing it to prayer and I usually just like 
in this like separate realm of my brain, I'm really grumpy about that. And then over on the other side, I'm like, happy prayer time. And so like remembering that like, okay, in these day-to-day struggles of our lives, God gives us to those, gives those to us, excuse me, for a reason. And he wants us to bring that to him in prayer, bring all those parts of our life to him, especially the parts that are difficult and that are our crosses during the day. So I really, yeah, I resonate a lot with this quote. Yeah. I'm just flashing back to my last two semesters of grad school and like, cause, oh, that last year of grad school, it's difficult and trying and definitely a lot of questioning. It's like, okay, am I on the right path? Did I listen to this, like this call correctly? And there, there's a lot of suffering, a lot of suffering going on through that. Just feel like I'm like learning the trial, like kind of like being like the burning and perfection of getting like all your flaws burned off in the process. And, mm-hmm. and then I also was dealing with the possibility that my grandma might die soon. I mean, she might die soon, but this is also uh, nine months later. <laughs> and there's just a lot that I was going through. And then it, I'm like also thinking back to other times where I've felt suffering and like remembering to offer it up. And mm-hmm. God does bring us through it. And I mean, I spent a lot of holy hours <laughs> offering up suffering. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And now I'm like, oh, hey, maybe I didn't actually have to do holy hours. I could have just sat and offered up. <laughs> and it's like, oh, okay, it's a two for one. <laughs> I don't know. I'm a baby when it comes to suffering. For, like, I'm whining about it because it's an inconvenience. <laughs> but <laughs> if you I get it. it. I am the same way. <laughs> Right? Absolutely. Yep. That makes three of us. <laughs> exactly. Like I'm such a baby because it's such an inconvenience. Like I don't like to feel like that, mm-hmm. but it's incredible to me. Like when you have that perspective of going through that for the sake of, and for the good of somebody else, even if it's someone you don't know mm-hmm. how much more willing I am to endure that and to offer it up for somebody else. Yeah. I, I love that about being a part of the body of Christ. It's just so much more, I know meaningful seems like a, a, the wrong word for it as well, but just being able to know that like, yeah, this time that I'm going through whatever sufferings, like, yeah, they suck, but me offering this up on behalf of someone I know or someone I don't, that, that can still bring things to fruition. I think that's really awesome that God chooses to make us a part of that process. Yeah. Yeah, that just made me think of time when I was really in a rough spot, uh, seven, nine, seven months ago, and I decided that I was going to go into internship, and I was going to be offering up any struggle and suffering I had for those that hadn't finished making their sacraments that were, like, pausing them. I know someone that's not confirmed yet, and because they decided, they chose not to because they weren't ready yet, so I was, like, offering up for them, for those that were struggling with infertility, and for those in bad relationships that's so and I don't know if how well I did with that but it was (laughs) I was well intent I was like okay we're gonna do this but I was just I am not enjoying this (laughs) (laughs) and far off on the other side of the world someone who was struggling with one of those things felt this little oomph of like extra grace in their life and they didn't know where it came from (laughs) (laughs) what's up (laughs) This is such a cool quote. Yeah, that's a good one. Oh, I fear nothing. I wish I could say that. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I fear nothing. I fear many things. (laughs) 
That's why she's a saint, I guess, but still, it's pretty intimidating mm-hmm. to think about. Oh, yeah. We have, we've like read through so many quotes where it's just so like mm-hmm. powerful. And I'm like, yeah, I I can't relate. <laughs> like, <laughs> I am not that holy. <laughs> I wish I was that holy and that I feared nothing or like. <laughs> That I was like just so meek and just be like okay yes and I'm like no I'm I'm pretty impatient with suffering <laughs> mm-hmm. I know it's always like when you're in this calm and placid time of life where you're like yeah god I can do anything like I'm so in, t- in touch with like my spiritual life and then something bad comes along and it's like I was saying earlier I like totally forget about like offering this up and instead I just am grumpy and irritable about it <laughs> oh yeah I recently tweeted about how I was having a bad day and I asked for people to pray for patience for me and a couple people gave really good perspectives but one 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 lady was like you know what happens if you get more patience though right you're gonna get chances to use it oh no <laughs> uh, <it's> like, <laughs> yeah. one person said rather than praying for extra patience I try to like be in the moment of that and try to see gratitude for gratitude instead and being thankful oh. for oh that's as much safer prayer I really love that <laughs> response she's like rather than pray for you know like try to feel better about this pray for like the grace to see the gratitude of what I can be thankful for in spite in in the midst of this suffering what I can be thankful for instead and I really liked that sometimes you have to dig deep for gratitude but yeah. mm-hmm. <laughs> I do like the idea of praying for that because, okay, we're supposed to pray for God's will. And sometimes when we're praying for God's will, God's like, okay, yeah, here you go. And then <laughs> you you're got like, it. and then you're just like, ah, <laughs> like, like God's will in different relationships. And then sometimes it's like, okay, my will is for them to be gone from your life. You're like, oh, mm. or, can I take that back? <laughs> yeah. Or like, patience god's will those are very scary things to pray for or, or humility that i was thinking about that like the litany no, of humility is a dangerous prayer do not pray that on the way to work <laughs> i was like ooh, i'm not praying this on the way to work i will pray on, on the days off right you know, the days that i know i'm not gonna see anyone or interact with people or I that i might not like i won't screw something up mm-hmm. <laughs> that will be like detrimental or anything <laughs> Oh man. Gosh. It is uncomfortable. It's so hardcore. It's like it's super like from hardcore. being thought about in like a positive way at all. Like that's not exactly what it says, but that's basically it. And I'm like not a spotlight loving person at all. And like I'm very much an introvert and things like that. But like as I'm praying this prayer, I'm like, uh, I don't know how much I like actually want these things to happen, which I guess is why you pray it. But man, it's tough. I'm just God, God, I'm just reading it. I'm not praying it yet. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just thinking the words. It's not a full prayer yet. Right. <laughs> it, it is it is very intense. It is mm-hmm. it is not a comfortable prayer. And that's what it's supposed to be. Mm-hmm. Um, it's 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 intense. It's awesome. I just, I can appreciate how much I don't appreciate it because I need it. That's a good quote. I'm going to be thinking a lot about that one. <laughs> good one to mull over. Well, today, Erin, thank you for being here. I'm super excited. Today, Erin yes. is going to share with us just a little bit about her story. 
maybe times where she has had to put her trust in God. I'm sure mm-hmm. that's in there somewhere. But yeah, Erin, yeah. we are so excited for you to just You're share so- your words of wisdom and your story with we us. We are so excited. <laughs> so thank you for being willing to do that. We really appreciate you being here. Yeah, absolutely. Like I said earlier, I've just been so excited to do this with you guys. It's so fun <laughs> to talk to you. And I, I love sharing my story. So this is really, really awesome. Um, but yeah, to kind of like fill people in who don't know who I am yet. Um, this August, I'm joining Dominican nuns at the Monastery of Our Lady of the Rosary, which is in Summit, New Jersey. They're cloistered contemplative nuns. So different from a lot of people's experience with Dominicans is in the friars who are you know active preachers. I go to a Dominican parish right now. And so we have four or five Dominican friars there right now. And so they're very like public facing ministry. People also might have encountered Dominican sisters, like the ones, uh, Sisters of St. Cecilia from Nashville, who are the the teaching order. And so again, a very public facing kind of thing, which makes sense because Dominicans are the order of preachers. So they are, their most identifiable quality is that they're out in the world spreading the word of God. Um, But St. Dominic in his wisdom, way back when he first started the order, before he sent out his friars to start preaching the word of God, he had the wisdom to create kind of this powerhouse of prayer with the Dominican nuns. And the idea was they were, they would stay in their cloister and their full-time job was just praying for the ministry of the Dominican order. And so I'm so excited to be a part of that Dominican family. Like I said, I go to a Dominican parish and so I have a lot of love for that order. And so I just, I am really pumped to be starting that vocation in just a couple months from this from when we're recording that's so cool (laughs) that is really really amazing I grew up with two of my great aunts for sisters Mm. so I like just like grew up thinking it's like but I did have two at my grade school that were not nice so like I just (laughs) so like I was not like oh nuns like people like oh yes nuns are so evil they're like something and I'm like (laughs) I'm like I mean there are some like there are just like some people that are mean but like my great aunts they like they give me ice cream (laughs) (laughs) not even money (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's been a really fun thing about telling for example, my coworkers, I, I work at a public school and so in a, in a very secular city. I oh, live I didn't Seattle. know it was a public school. I knew you worked in a school. <laughs> yeah. And so like, like most of my coworkers are not Catholic and, and most are also not religious, but a lot of people have these stories of, Oh, like my great aunt was a nun. Or like, I remember visiting priests when I was a kid, like I'm not Catholic anymore, but X, Y, Z, like a lot of people do have this kind of often tangential connection to religious life. And so that's been kind of a neat, like opening of the door to these conversations with people to make it more relatable to them and that they have some like touchstone in their personal life of how they're connected to that. That's so cool. That's so Mm -hmm. cool. Yeah. That is awesome. Oh, but Aaron, I just need to mention your love of Maximilian Colby. Because that's kind of how we met each other on Twitter. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So I have loved him since childhood and I guess that's kind of part of my vocation story but when I visited this monastery last summer I did it like a three-week extended live-in visit with the nuns and I left I ended that visit on the feast of Saint Maximilian Colby and now I'm entering again on his feast day so I'm I'm so glad my number one guy he's he's got my back for sure as he's I like your do spiritual this whole boyfriend <laughs> he really is yeah <laughs> that's amazing that is really really cool 
Yeah. I learned about him first when I was in, I guess, in middle school. So Maximilian Kolbe, known for many things, kind of the, the primary thing that people know about him is that he gave his life for another man in Auschwitz. And that alone, obviously, is a remarkable story and just incredible heroic charity. But his whole life leading up to that is is just mind-blowing. He was so smart. He had like made designs for a rocket ship at one point, which is so random and awesome. That um, was cool. Yeah, right? He so he became that. a scientist. Yeah, it's, it was like when he was like some young upstart college kid, he, he's like, here's how you could fly to the moon. So <laughs> I, I'm yeah, hopefully not getting too many details wrong in that. So Maximilian Colby scholars, correct me. But um, yeah, he was just this crazy, cool, smart guy. And then joined the Franciscans and founded this, this group called the Militia of the Immaculata. Mm-hmm. And the, the purpose of that was to pr- promote um, consecration to Our Lady who he called the Immaculata. So the way I found out about St. Maximilian was through a militia of the Immaculata summer camp in my area when I was in middle school. And I went back to these summer camps year after year from 13 years on onwards. And then when I became too old to attend the summer camps, I became like a youth group leader at the summer camps. And so that continued through my college years. And so just like going back summer after summer to this camp, every year we would get this immersion in the sacraments, there'd be adoration and all this kind of stuff, but also a lot of talk about his spirituality, St. Maximilian Colby and, you know, what he thought about Our Lady and his, his kind of personal lives and beliefs. Um, so it was kind of like a done deal at that point in it to win it with St. Maximilian for sure. <laughs> nice. Oh, that is so awesome. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think you're correct in saying most people know him for offering to take the place of the man in, in the concentration camps. I didn't, I didn't know those little other tidbits. That's really cool. Yeah. He's got, he's got a lot going for him. His biography is a really fun read. A man for others is its name. If anyone wants to do a little reading this summer. (laughs) I'm thinking I have time to start reading next week. Nice. That's gotta be a good feeling after finishing with all your like grad school reading and stuff. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I deleted all my study apps the other day. (laughs) (laughs) and unsubscribe for them yeah it was great I'm like oh I can like do things and like free time what is that what is this Mm -hmm. I can watch things and like read (laughs) things and see people yeah amazing (laughs) so I have a question because you've spoken about the Dominicans and how you're really drawn to them did you encounter Dominicans and feel drawn to their ministry or did you maybe feel a calling to the religious life and it kind of did some searching around and tried to figure out where exactly you fit in to like, as, as far as the community, the religious life? That's a great question. The, the first piece of the puzzle for me was just the general call to religious life. Um, mm-hmm. And that was when I was attending one of these militia of the Immaculata retreats in middle school, I was like standing in line for confession saw one of the stations of the cross across the church and it was the one where Jesus meets the women of Jerusalem but the caption on this particular church just said the holy woman and it was like this holy spirit switch flipped in my head and all of a sudden I just had this thought that was God wants me to be a nun and it was like nothing I it wasn't like a thought process I had myself it just appeared there Um, but I was like 13 or 14 at the time so I was like okay cool like whatever that means I'm in middle school 
And so that thought was in the back of my head for a long time, but I just kind of kept, you know, pushing it down the road, like, well, I have to graduate high school first. I'll think about it later, or I have to graduate college or I have to pay off student loans. Like I'll figure that out later on, but it kind of stayed in the back of my mind for a while. And so at a certain point, I think it was after I graduated college, I started to finally actually look at religious orders and by which I mean, like the bare minimum of looking at their websites or like finding their <laughs> Facebook pages. <laughs> and at that point I had gone to this Dominican parish for a few years when I was growing up, like I received my first communion there. So I had a little bit of a familiarity with them as a religious order. And I remember looking at the um, Dominican sisters of St. Cecilia website They're They're the teaching sisters. And at that point, my degree in college was music education. So I figured teaching sisters kind of makes sense if this is a real thing that God wants me to get into. I also kind of just to like throw a bone to other orders, looked at a few other religious communities. I remember like looking at some websites for Franciscans because that's what St. Maximilian Colby was. And I found like one particular community in Washington state because there's not a lot near me. So I figured I might as well visit them. But I just kept coming back to Dominicans. Um, And it kind of made it easy for me that God had made it simple enough that just the thought of joining any other religious order seemed off to me. And so I didn't have to think too hard about that aspect of the sermon, which I thank God for. <laughs> There's enough complication in figuring out religious vocation that it was nice to have that one piece feel pretty secure. Oh yeah. Cause I mean, when you're just figuring that out, that's like kind of like, it's like going on dates with the different communities and like, who do I vibe with? And that's like, okay. Mm-hmm. Or like figuring out if you have a type. So apparently your type is Dominicans. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The nerdy type, you might say. <laughs> yeah, exactly. This is one of my like soapboxes that I'll jump on at the drop of a hat these days is contacting religious orders. I, when I was younger, built it up into this huge thing to like fill out the page on their website that says like, contact us. That um, is intimidating. I've lo- I looked at some a few <laughs> months ago when I was thinking, maybe I'm not supposed to get married. Maybe this is something I'm supposed to look at. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I like, I remember feeling really freaked out just to do that when it's like, honestly, it's the same as, you know, swiping right or left or whatever direction you swipe on dating or apps. calling somebody <laughs> like, Hey, can we go on a date? <laughs> exactly. Like it, it shouldn't be as intimidating as it is, but that doesn't stop me from being majorly intimidated. And also I think there's that extra piece of, okay, going on dates is like a normal society thing to do. Visiting religious order or like being in contact with them is enough of a weird conversation to have with people to make it feel really strange and intimidating. Yeah. Yes. I, it is because like my sisters checked different ones out and I have a friend that had checked different ones out and it was like, Oh, this is like dating for you. This is like, okay (laughs) but but it's it's something that like you don't hear people talk about really Mm -mm. unless you know you actually know someone's doing it then you hear but most people do have an experience with like other people around them dating yeah and not looking at orders exactly and I do feel like that's a really difficult thing for young people now these days well if you go on one religious community visit then people are going to be like oh so you're going to be a nun you're going to be a monk you're going to be a priest like it's a lot of and pressure it should... yeah exactly no one's like oh you're going to marry this person that you went on <laughs> one date with <laughs> exactly and so I think, yeah so we need to like generally just be more chill I think that's a, a life philosophy of mine <laughs> Sarah, you're losing it right now <laughs> Yeah, sometimes when people know that you're starting to like seek out that religious profession, it's almost like, oh, 
like might as well say your final vows now you're a nun you know Mm -hmm. and it can be a lot of pressure yeah and I try to be also like realistic when talking to people like obviously I am going in hoping and feeling like this is where I'm going to be for the rest of my life but also like making it clear to people I talk about like I'm not you know getting rid of 100% of my possessions when I enter like I'm still going to have a box of things in my parents house you know because I want to be open to God's will for me as well and so Mm. maybe he wants me to go for a few years and then discern out and it's not my call to make you know Um, and I feel like spiritual director about that (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah and it's like it's we have to be supportive of our friends who are in discernment and haven't made vows, either religious or marriage vows yet. You mm-hmm. have to be open to whatever God is calling you to, even right. if that is to make a tough decision in your discernment. Right. Cause like God can say yes. And then he can say no. Mm-hmm. He, it could be like, yes for now, but it could be yeah. like, no later, or it can be oh. yes. Later. Or he can say no now and yes later. So it's like, my spiritual was like, oh yeah, every day I pray, like I discern my own relationship. Like, okay, God, is this still a yes today? <laughs> right. Yeah. And obviously like, okay, we know that there are things that like, you know, once you've taken your wedding vows or marriage vows, you're not going to say like no to that after all, but, <laughs> but, but there are other smaller aspects of that in your daily life. Like maybe it's your job that you work in or, you know, this passion project that you're focused on or whatever, like you have to be open to God's will as we said earlier, like thy will be done is a tough prayer, but we have to be open to what that answer is for sure. Mm-hmm. I, I felt like that when I, after college, I had sort of started to look at these religious orders online, but then a couple of years in, I started seeing a spiritual director and was really feeling kind of like upset about this religious vocation. And it felt like it had been like hanging over my head kind of. And I started to get to the point where like, you know, I'd hear about friends who were getting engaged or having babies yeah. or whatever, you know? And so for a couple of years, I, the right direction for me was to like, forget about religious life, date some nice Catholic men, be open to that vocation of marriage, like mm-hmm. for the first time ever. And after a couple of years, you know, I kept bringing it up in prayer mm-hmm. and a couple of years later, it became very clear to me that like, okay, religious vocation is what God is calling me to. But yeah. those few years were really helpful for me to like, honestly discern the vocation and be open to other things that God was calling me to. And mm-hmm. that helped me say it even more meaningful yes in the end yeah yeah you learn about yourself you also kind of eliminate the what ifs mm-hmm. yeah. I don't know I've I always like to try and live my life not having regrets not leaving any what ifs and mm-hmm. that doesn't always work out but that's okay but I agree I think you are more at peace it seems with your decision and you are confident and that confidence, that peace of mind is invaluable, knowing going forward that there's not a what if, you know, that there's, mm-hmm. the path is, has been very clear. And it's because you took the time not to just like, you didn't have tunnel vision, right? you were open to other possibilities and it's, you know, God closed the doors where he needed to. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Well said. Sometimes it's hard to appreciate closed doors when you're hoping that they stay open but but yeah that's really good that you took the time to do that yeah yeah I remember one time in particular as I was coming to that final realization of okay religious vocation is is what it is and one day I was really really wrestling with this idea and it was kind of like the final barrier that I had to break through mentally Um, and I watched The Sound of Music which I love that movie and in it Maria von Trapp is in a convent and then she leaves the convent and then she runs back to it. 
And then eventually she ends up marrying Captain Von Trapp. Spoiler alert. Um, (gasps) (laughs) But I remember watching that and having all these strong feelings about like both of the lives that Maria lives in this movie. And just finally, the thought that I had was like, I need to be all in for Jesus. That was like my little catchphrase of the day. It was like all in for Jesus. If he's calling me to religious life, then he's doing that because it's going to be for my ultimate happiness and like my best self. But that's a tough thing to say. And like, that took me a lot of angsty holy hours to get that message in. Yes, closed doors are a good thing because they help you find like your ultimate destination, but it can be really, really hard to say no to those, those other things. Yep. Yeah. I had a thought and it's gone. (laughs) (laughs) Erin, I like how part of your story has also been, I love the part earlier when you said your moment where you were on your retreat and you, that first idea just appeared in your head. It wasn't like a lightning bolt and it wasn't this, it wasn't just this instant. It was just something that was spoken in your heart and you knew to be true. It was just there. And because I've experienced that before in my life in prayer, whether it's moving forward with a job. I remember one time I, out of the blue, I was sitting at my, my job and just the thought appeared, like you said, this is your last year in youth ministry at this position, at least. And I just knew it. There wasn't any sort of buildup. There wasn't any, it wasn't a lightning bolt. It was just there. It's like this thing that I knew. And afterward was the struggle for me though. Cause I have this thing, but how is it going to happen now? It's like, mm-hmm. you have the end of the story and the middle still needs to be filled in. <laughs> um, but I love how you said that because that's something that I can relate to. I have experienced before God speaks to you and it's just there. And you're like, okay. Yeah. Despite the fact that that happened to me when I was 13 or 14. So that's 17 years ago at this point, it took me a really long time to realize that when, when God speaks to you in prayer, it's not like the Morgan Freeman voice proclaiming from on high, you know, God's voice in prayer is like, it's like your voice, but it's this often like comes from nowhere or comes without you like leading up to this conscious thought and you really I don't know I'm it's hard to explain but I'm sure we've hopefully had a chance to feel that in prayer before of just knowing learning how to tune in when it's God speaking to you in prayer being open to that like still small voice have any of you been to therapy I have not but I, I feel have, like I should and I they definitely like when I like bring up God speaking to me like do you hear voices and I'm like oh no, no. <laughs> Yeah, it's um, <laughs> but that's literally a question that's on the thing of like the the problem checklist is, oh no, like, like, auto, like hallucinations, auditory hallucinations. Like here's so, like, okay, are there voices? That other? I'm like, no, <laughs> not what I mean. It's like but in it's, prayer and not in like hallucinations, right? So it's in my head. It's not my voice. It's God's voice. It's not even a voice. It's not a voice I that I've experienced. It's just a truth. Like that's the best way that I can describe it. It's just this yes. truth that has been spoken to you. And right. That you know. mm-hmm. it's, not, it's not a voice. It's not like Mufasa in the class. It's <laughs> yeah. like it's like God puts a thought that He's like speaking into my head, and it's like mm-hmm. I can like it's like I can like read it, but I'm not reading it. I'm 
I'm like, oh, that was God. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and yeah. then whenever it's like panicked, a panic thought, I'm like, okay, that's the devil. <laughs> <laughs> yep. And there is a lot of peace and a lot of confidence that you get to experience just based off of that truth. It's a little nerve wracking trying to figure out the pieces in between. Like I said, you have mm. the end piece the end of the story or the end of the chapter. It's like a rom-com. You know how it's going to end, but you don't know how it's going to get there. <laughs> exactly. It's like reading the last few pages of the book first and mm-hmm. then trying to figure out where, where it's going to go. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And it's like, even though you can hear these things and like have this message from God, of course, there's still going to be those times of stress or like worry about how it's all going to work out. And like, it's okay to like, feel scared about those things and all that kind of stuff. But ultimately, as I was saying before, you know, it, you should know that it's for your good. God's asking you to do things because he's looking out for you. He loves you. And how was the experience of dating? It was, well, I have to say, looking at like Catholic young adults on Twitter now, every time I see people post like horror stories from their dating experience, I'm kind of grateful I'm not in that world anymore. (laughs) (laughs) But it was good to be more just like relaxed about the whole vocation thing and let be like okay I'll go on a date with a guy and not put any pressure on it and just be cool mm-hmm. with it being that we just being a date you know yeah I, I met some really nice Catholic gentlemen and I'm sure they're if they end up getting married they're gonna be awesome husbands and fathers and things like that um so I I am grateful that I had that experience but yeah the online dating thing oh my gosh it was so stressful and I found myself often like deleting and then like re-downloading the apps because it's really for me at least I know it works really well for some people for me it just felt like such a commodification of people where it'd be like oh they're like holding a fish in their profile picture nope and it's like oh men have so many fish in their profile pictures on dating apps so oh many fish there's so, so many, many fish. fish or beers they have a lot of yeah. beers I and don't like know sports this... sports apparel like yeah. fish sports apparel or like beer so again I like became kind of jaded and cynical about the whole online <laughs> dating thing so to all the men listening to this with dating profiles don't put fish in your profile (laughs) pictures or at least have a little variety (laughs) and like don't have all your pictures group pictures Mm -hmm. yep have a picture of you without sunglasses and a hat on (laughs) yeah (laughs) have like a female friend take a nice photo of you because she'll know what looks good yep and it like you said takes a couple minutes and then you're on your dating apps and you don't look like a weirdo who only has pictures with friends (laughs) yeah (laughs) or like and make sure you have a few that are flattering not like yes hey here's me and my like ridiculous parka (laughs) (laughs) yeah and again it's like we're not being totally shallow like you also need to like have some sense of like I can connect with this person there's like a reasonable chance of me you know liking this person (laughs) yeah I think the smartest thing a guy, uh, the smartest picture a guy can put on a dating profile is a picture of him with children. Mm, Yes. Yes. Sometimes you need, sometimes you might have to clarify if they're, if they're yours or not, but they typically say, they typically say if it's their, or just like mention like, Oh, 
I love spending time with my nephew or my niece. I did have a guy or... be like, hey, who's that really? That's a really dang cute picture. I'm like, oh, thanks. I mean, he didn't actually, say, I don't swear. So he actually said something else. <laughs> <laughs> um, Aaron, I had, I had another question for you. So um, going back to discernment and stuff. So when you were deciding, I mean, you were pretty sure it was like the Dominicans for you. What was the process then once you decided, okay, I'm really going to seek this out. I'm going to as far as did you go and visit the community that you would be joining? Did you have somebody that was kind of like your mentor as far as helping you in the discernment process? Yeah, good question. So I definitely went on, like once I had figured out contemplative religious, what it was, what I felt God was calling me to, I went on a couple, what are called come and see visits with two different Dominican monasteries, so communities of Dominican nuns. And they're the ones I went on were a weekend long visit. Um, at one of them, they had, there were several other young ladies there visiting at the same time. And so they had a couple people speak about, you know, the D- Dominican charism. The nuns told us like what their day-to-day life was. So the first one I went on was a little more structured like that. The second one I went on was the ones in New Jersey, actually. And they don't do a formal come and see with multiple people at once because they said they just never had the numbers for it but it was still it was like a really casual I like stayed in the guest wing um, and then the the vocation director who I was in touch with would tell me what time to come to the parlor and the nuns would visit me in the parlor and we'd talk about like what their life looks like and you know if I had any questions about discernment and things like that Um, and so that's what I like to liken to like into like the first date kind of experience where again we put so much pressure on ourselves when we go into those situations but for the nuns and for any like religious community that you do a come and see with they're not there to like sell you on a marketing scheme or something they really are trying to help you figure out yes or no because I have also in previous years gone on come and see visits with orders that I'm like this isn't for me and they weren't like mad or upset about it which is like funny to think about you think that's going to be the case Mm -hmm. obviously not they're not trying to force someone into a vacation that's not the right fit Um, So that's the first step of concretely visiting religious orders. And I think that's really, really important, even if you're not sure about a religious vocation, because maybe you go on the come and see and you're like, I could never see myself living this life. And that's helpful, concrete information, but you'll never know until you try. Um, So that was the first step was just one weekend visit, kind of low pressure, getting to ask simple questions about what life was like there. And I was really lucky that after I visited this community in New Jersey, I came away with this total sense of peace when I visited there. I felt like I connected with the nuns and I wanted to spend more time with them. And I should say, you had also asked about if I had a mentor or anything during this process. I had been a couple of times speaking with one of the Dominican friars at my parish, and that was super helpful. Um, And I encourage people, if they're in the process of discerning a vocation in general, no matter how far along you are in the process, trying to find someone to talk to. It could be a religious or someone who's, you know, got some know-how in the spiritual life. Um, Because just to get that like objective sense of like, here's what I think I'm feeling. I'm not sure what, what to take or leave. Being able to talk to this friar and have him kind of like help me have some objectivity to the discernment process was really huge. So I went on this come and see visit in New Jersey and knew I wanted to go back. So then with this community that there was kind of a long application process to do a longer visit with them and they call it a live in. And so it was like a three week visit for me last summer. And I, instead of staying in the guest wing, like I did for the first visit, I was inside the cloisters in the monastery walls where the nuns live their everyday life. 
lived in a cell like the other nuns do, you know, had the same daily schedule as them. And so it really got a good sense of what does it feel to live this life day in and day out? And especially with a longer visit like that, I had a chance to go through all kind of the emotional highs and lows. And that was really helpful because I came away feeling like, yes, I know the great parts of this. I know the difficult parts of this, but I also can tell that I would be able to live with all of that. You know, there's nothing that's a deal breaker for me. And so after that three week visit, I spent some time praying and thinking about it and then asked for an application. And that took a couple months because I was like working and it's just a long process of like getting all your paperwork in order. And so then I was accepted and here's, that's where we are now. (laughs) So what are those application processes like? It was intense. I'm sure it's different for every community. On my end, the two applications were both kind of hardcore. The one where I applied to do the live-in visit was more focused on like my personal spiritual journey at that point. So I wrote, I had to write like a five-page autobiography of what was it like to grow up? What was your upbringing as a Catholic or not? You know, all this, like, how did you discern? How did you get to this point? Kind of. So that was a lot of me thinking of over these things focused in that first round for the live-in application. When I got to the, like, the application for postulancy for, like, joining the community, that mm-hmm. one was more kind of paperwork oriented on my end. So I had to do dental exam, a vision exam, medical. I had to do a psychological evaluation, which was hardcore. I had all these surveys and, like, Zoom interview with a psychologist and things like that because they want to make sure that, that you're sane. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You're not a psychopath. And then, like, I had to get five references from people in my life which felt like a lot to me because I hate asking people to like do things for me so so I had to like ask coworkers and things like that to to be reference for me it took me like a couple months to get it all together so that was a huge it felt like a, a full-time job getting that all done but I guess they want to know that I mean it's kind of a it's not Mother Teresa intense, but it's still, a, it's a kind of big change from day-to-day life. So they do want to make sure that people aren't just lucking out into entering a monastery. They do want to know you're serious and committed. Mm, right. Yeah. What, uh, what did your, how did your family react? Is it something that they kind of saw coming or how did they respond when you told them that that's what you were going to seriously pursue? You know, That's a great question. Um, So I am a cradle Catholic and I'm lucky that my whole life, my parents are great Catholic examples. Um, You know, I've been going to church every Sunday of my entire life. I've known all along the way that they are, they're supportive of me. They are happy for me to do what, what they can see me being really peaceful with. It is tough for them because it's, you know, on the other side of the country and it's a cloistered community. So I'm not going to be making, you know, day trips out or, you know, visits to Seattle often or anything like that. I'm blessed that they are faithful Catholics that understand that this is what God wants of me. And, mm-hmm. you know, and there's grace for them too, even in the, the difficulty uh, going back to our, our conversation at the beginning, it is mm-hmm. a struggle for them. And it is, you know, a challenge that God is asking of them, but, but he gives them the grace that's necessary. That's awesome. Yeah, thankfully, you've had the support of your family. That's something yeah. that's beautiful because I feel like going through a struggle like that where your family is so, it's kind of like a relationship parallels. It's kind of like introducing your parents to someone that you want mm-hmm. to seriously marry and they're like, don't like him. Mm-mm. Like that would be really hard to not have the support of your family. So I'm, I'm really glad that you were able to have mm. 
your family to be there and support you in that and to pray for you too. Yeah, absolutely. Family is definitely very important to me. I like two awesome parents and five awesome siblings. So it's pretty awesome having all of them. They've got my back. That's a good feeling. That's awesome. So did you look at other, so I know that you were looking at contemplative and that's what you discerned, but did you explore others? Earlier on in my discernment, so right after college, before I went through kind of the like vocation swerve into dating territory, I did, I visited the Nashville Dominicans and did a retreat, a couple of retreats with them actually. And then I visited a community in Eastern Washington, which is more oriented towards catechesis is kind of their main ministry. So they're like in schools or, you know, in church Sunday school programs and stuff. Mm -hmm. And those were good experiences for me because especially with the Nashville Dominicans, I really connected with a lot of their life there. Although in retrospect, the parts that I connected with are the things that are really similar to the monastery, like Ah. praying the hours in community or like the time they spend at the mother house and not at the schools. Um, So like even on those retreats at places that weren't ultimately for me, there were really helpful things for me in my discernment. And it's like going on dates with guys that you you don't date again, you learn more about yourself and your preferences and stuff. So instead of being like, oh, like I struck out on that retreat. That wasn't for me. Like it it was really helpful for me in retrospect to see what are the things I did like? Why wasn't, you know, why wasn't this community a draw for me? What are the things that I, I don't feel called to. Right. Yeah. So that was really helpful. And I actually also find that I'm able to like draw that stuff out of just like my friends, like my guy friends. I'm like, Oh, this is a quality I like. Oh, this is like something I like. It's like, Oh, that's really something that is really (laughs) not for me. I'm like, oh, but it's for somebody else. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, you know, it's sometimes the like the discourse on Catholic Twitter gets into like, is religious life the superior vocation to marriage and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, no. no. And hopefully this doesn't start the discourse after this. You know, <laughs> I am that influential that my saying this will spark the discourse again. No, but like the point is not like, what is the single holiest vocation? It's what is God calling you to? Yeah, so like, yeah people don't. So, and our vocation is holiness. Right, exactly. Like our vocation is no, holiness and God calls us, like, it's like wherever like God sees us fit. You know, you look at, again, Mother Teresa, for example, like no one can say, mm-hmm. well, apparently there's atheists that say that was not a good life choice, but whatever, haters back off. Mother Teresa's life, objectively incredible and grace-filled. But like, if I did that, I would not be holy. I would be miserable all the time. And like, those poor sick people would like suffer even more if I tried to take care of them. So like, the point is not to find the one life path that's perfect for everyone. It's to find the one that is good for you. And so, Mm. yeah, going on dates and visiting religious communities, even if it's not a good fit for you, that's a part of the discernment process too. Yeah. That was very weird discourse. It was just like <laughs> that that was a that was something, let me tell you. Something I will not miss when I enter the monastery is like the discourse in general on Catholic <laughs> Twitter. I love Catholic Twitter. I spend way too much time browsing Twitter, but like I will be glad not to like have the modesty conversation or like <laughs> the NFP conversation or whatever the topic of the day is on Catholic Twitter. <laughs> okay, and they always they always overlook male modesty. Mm-hmm. males get away with so much crap <laughs> and then i'm like hey so you know you guys might be visual but women like if you because like i've had them be like talking about their muscles and it's like i'm just like mm-hmm. 
that's that's not modest because now I'm thinking about how big your arms are <laughs> exactly it's a virtue not just for females like <laughs> yeah or just like different things where I'm just like hey guys modesty is for you too and it's like there's like and there is like more than just the physical modesty mm-hmm. there's also like how you talk about something like yeah look at us we're gonna spark the discourse all <laughs> over again with this. Oh. <laughs> Um, going back to, going back to like the discernment process, I, I think that what I have found, and I think sometimes it's, or it's easy to get caught up in just because I'm going into the seminary, not Mm. me, or just because I'm (laughs) going into the convent, that's not a sign the papers, I'm a nun or sign the papers, I'm a priest. It is an essential part of your discernment process. I think that's an important distinction to make. Like you do need to discern a yes. little bit going to seminary, but you're not discerning the seminary or the convent is not your vocation. Mm-hmm. Or at least that discernment period is not something that you discern into. It's a process. It's what helps you discern your permanent vocation. It's a stepping stone. And I think sometimes people think, oh, if I go into seminary, if I go into convent, Oh, that's it for me. Like that's the end of the line. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is such an important point. I think there's all these, you know, if you do end up going into seminary or in a monastery or convent, like there's all these checkpoints along the way. It's not like you're in and then that's it for good, which I think can be reassuring to people as well. Like to know that, okay, you didn't get like trapped in this life, but also to think about like, you know, once you do enter the seminary or take your solemn vows or whatever, like, that's not the end. It's not like a, a checklist thing of like, vocation achieved the end. Our whole lives are going to be this, are going to be living out a vocation of some sort. And so like, yeah, I think we put a lot of emphasis on like, the milestone of, you know, joining the seminary or getting married. Those things, are, I'm not trying to like downplay their importance, obviously, but but yeah, the, the discernment isn't, should I take this like preliminary step towards a vocation? There's a lot of um, steps along the journey and, and you're not committed until a long way down the road, but you've got to take those steps. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. They're, they're not going to, they're not going to lock you in once you walk through the doors. Like, uh, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Well, like, like my dad was in seminary for so long. I had a cousin in seminary for like a year. I know, I know so many different people went to seminary. My sister went on a come and see retreat. My sister didn't get married five days before her wedding date. Mm. That's when they broke up. And I have an aunt that dumped weeks or like two months, like, like I think three weeks or so before her wedding. And then she met Mm. my uncle that summer. So, and then I have a cousin that she was engaged twice before she ended up dating her neighbor and marrying him. And that was the first cousin that I ever had that was engaged. So I was like, so we're like, so then everybody else would get engaged. We're like, okay, we don't really know that they're getting married until like they're up at the altar. Yeah. So like like in my mind, it's like, okay, you don't really know something until it's like, okay. Mm -hmm. I've just learned to always be open to the possibility that something can change. Yeah, exactly. You got to stay open to God's call for you. And Mm -hmm. as we said earlier, like sometimes that means taking some steps towards one vocation and then realizing that's not the the path for you. Yeah. Yeah. 
important yeah. too. I mean, I, I, I also looked at different like orders and stuff. I didn't actually, I, I looked at their websites and then there I was like, <laughs> then I found out how expensive the sisters of St. Paul are. To oh no. I'm like, no, I can't. <laughs> oh <do> really? <laughs> They're really expensive for come and see. Oh, gosh. Oh no. Well, hopefully the folks out there that need to go on those come and sees can fundraise or something make yeah. it happen <laughs> or get scholarships or grants or somebody could be like yeah I don't know <laughs> we'll start a GoFundMe yeah <laughs> yeah yeah and I, I mean my brother he went to Jesuit schools and he actually did discern with the Jesuits for a little bit like he went and then he he didn't really like the people that were on the retreat so that he was like turned off and then he met my sister-in-law but then he was still like hmm but then, then he got married and has my niece and she is the coolest two-year-old around <laughs> oh I mean, my nieces are probably cuter, but we can't say for sure. (laughs) I totally understand what you're talking about. (laughs) Oh, man. How excited are you for like, like discerning through the course of your time there? I'm just so ready to be at the monastery. I'm so excited for that, especially with this whole past year, I mean, for all of us, number one, pandemic is, has been crazy and emotional for all of us. Yeah. I may have mentioned earlier, like my time at work this year has just been awful. And I've like come home yeah, every day. I've like, just been like, Oh, that's I, like, bad. I won't like get into it. Our podcast would be days long. If well, I started you see my tweets it. when I was in grad school and it was just like painful. <laughs> yeah. So I'm like, I'm ready for that to be over. And just having that certainty of like, this is where I know God wants me to be next in the monastery. Like that is a big source of consolation Mm -hmm. for me. So I'm just excited to have this weird in-between time be over and to be like inside the monastery walls living that life day to day. Yeah. So far, have you experienced any kind of like, well, you know, cause Satan likes to drive us crazy and he likes to lead Mm -hmm. us away from, from God's path. Have you, so have you, experienced any kind of little slivers of doubt or discouragement ongoing or has it been because like you mentioned like I just gotta get there because once I'm there that's where I'm I'm gonna go but sometimes you get a couple rocks thrown at you just like ah Mm -hmm. yeah I feel like God has given me a lot of grace in in helping me feel really confident about this next step and probably because he knows I'm like a spiritual wimp and so if there was any you know, doubt or whatever, I would like freak out. So I feel confident in the next step. I think it has still been difficult to, to say goodbye to my day-to-day life and, and things like that. You know, joining a cloistered community means there, I'm not going to be doing like, you know, Uber Eats from my favorite restaurant or like the, the one that's like, gosh, this is like the biggest thing. And it's such a dumb thing, but like, Marvel and Star Wars both have like a ton of new TV shows and movies on the horizon. And I've like loved that stuff since I was a kid. And so for me to be like, I can watch this movie trailer, but I'll be in the monastery by the time it comes out. Those are weird things that I think it's okay to, it's okay to feel sad about those, but those are definitely the, the, on the bigger side of like the hurdles that I'm having to encounter. You can watch them in heaven someday. Exactly. There we go. I'm sure. (laughs) Sure. That God will have them available in heaven. There we go. I I can only hope. (laughs) Yeah. If they're good. And if not, then I won't want to see them. (laughs) That would be be difficult. Or like not being able to like run to Target really quick because you need something or 
And it's, yeah, just little things like that. You know, I live pretty close to my family right now and I'm moving in with them for the month before I go to the monastery. And like, I've all, except for being in college, I've always lived close by. And so that's going to be really strange not to be able to like, you know, send a text to my sibling group chat or, you know, get the latest video of my cute nieces and nephew or whatever. Oh my you gosh, know? Aren't they so <laughs> cute? <laughs> they're, oh my gosh, they're adorable. Um, so yeah, there's definitely, I think that is one of the harder, harder things is just coming to terms with what things I'm leaving behind. And a lot of times it's good things that I'm saying that I'm leaving behind and it's okay enough to feel sad feelings. So I'm just like yeah. trying to make myself come to terms with that in a healthy way. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Because it is, I mean, you know, I think that's with any if any good thing you move forward from it. It's okay to feel sad about the things that you're going to lose or to not have around anymore. And But I think God sees the things that we offer up. And mm-hmm. He knows how hard it is for us to give up, you know, those little freedoms or being able to see and talk to family so often. And mm-hmm he understands the sacrifice it is to hand those things over to live his will. And I think that kind of circling back to our espresso shot, like when we can give him that trust that gives him glory, it makes room in our hearts for bigger grace, more grace than we could even imagine. Um, Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's going to be worth it. Definitely. And it's, I can already see that grace so clearly in my life, like flashing back to three years ago. Now, if I, if someone had told me that I was going to have a religious vocation to like cloistered life of all things, I would have laughed in their face, but now I'm so excited for it. And I can't wait for that step. So I can really, God gives us the graces that we need in, in that time. And yeah. And everyone's vocation requires them to say yes to some things and no to others, you know, parents don't get to go like out on the town with their friends as much as I'd like to when they have small kids, you know, that's, it's part of life, I guess. So it's, yeah, it's okay to say no to, to know that some things are going to leave your life and to be sad about it, but God gives you the grace that you need for sure. Yeah. I do like that you called yourself a spiritual wimp because people don't (laughs) need to be spiritually strong to go have a, like a religious vocation. Yes. It's like this kind of misconception that like, Oh, you must be so holy. holy. <laughs> like, uh, thank you, but no, I'm not. <laughs> and I think when you are feeling just a little bit like if, if anything comes up, I'm going to head for the hills. And I think God <laughs> takes that and he allows us time to like build ourselves up and strengthen ourselves so that we can handle more. Again, again, with the espresso shot, mm-hmm. like he always gives us, we are always provided with the grace that we need with yeah. any sort of struggle or or suffering that we encounter so Mm -hmm. yeah as far as your niece and nephews go you can be the aunt that writes them letters from the convent yes i'm very excited for that like riley (laughs) sharapa she tweeted about like how none of her sisters enter she's like root of my sisters for none of them to enter to write my children letter I'm a goddaughter to my youngest niece or god god she's my goddaughter I'm a godmother what am I yeah I need more coffee today for this podcast I think but yeah so I'm her godmother and her godfather is a priest so I'm like this kid's got it like she's got a a stacked roster behind her (laughs) that is so (laughs) that's so cool so like okay my brother likes to call like so he's a godfather to my niece and then he calls the godmother his godwife 
<laughs> and that's your, so like that priest, according to him, would be your god spouse, your god <laughs> husband. <laughs> That's so hilarious. I love that. He's like, oh yeah, my God, grandpa. But I'm like, that's not a thing. (laughs) (laughs) I'll have to explain that to him. Like, hey, that's not really how any of this works. (laughs) Because then, like, we like my because my cousins and I, we joke. It's like, oh yes, we have the same godmother, so we're god siblings. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. Like, you're my god brother, and I'm your god sister. (laughs) Well, he did ask, like, hey, how does Scott feel about me being your god husband? She's like, um he's okay with it it's so funny oh my gosh (laughs) so moving forward with grounds to cover I think specifically like when you if you're single and you're trying to discern your vocation what are some things that we can do this week to try and open ourselves up to the will of God and what he might be calling us to So I remember a piece of great advice I got from a spiritual director when I was in this vocation no man's land was to look where God was filling me up with light. And by that, I was really kind of in my own head about like religious life or married life. Like, what the heck am I supposed to do? And the priest was like, he didn't say this in so many words, but it was basically like, chill out, look for the areas of your life where God brings you joy and focus on that for now. And you might not realize right away. It's not like, okay, that's magically going to tell you your vocation, but, but God gives us like these natural personalities and desires and and things like that. And so like, if you're in vocational no man's land right now, take a step back, look for where God is filling you up with light and and focus in on those things. I love that. That is awesome. I really, really like that because I think it's, it's important to focus on the joy because that comes from pure joy and peace that like that comes from the Lord. And so you want to follow that and he'll lead you to more peace and more joy, maybe. Uh, Yeah, exactly. Yeah. A piece of advice that I received, Maura knows what's coming. (laughs) A piece of advice that I received from a priest friend of mine. And I say that I've said this so many times on this podcast, so everyone else say it with me. (laughs) Pray three Hail Marys Marys. for your vocation every day. I love that. Short and sweet. That's great advice. Something I would say is don't overhype the application process. Mm. It's, it's just the application. It's just, it does not mean you're going to get married to them. It doesn't mean that. It means that you are just discerning. <laughs> yes, think, absolutely. Yeah, I think that's a good one. I think maybe if you have ever... Oh, this is going to be a hard one for me. <laughs> oh, how is your brick heart? <laughs> if you've ever, if you're in a place right now, where you're kind of, I don't know, single, single state of life and you're kind of searching. If you've ever felt a little tiny inkling of a calling to, to the priesthood or to religious life, do a little research maybe. And maybe that's talk to a priest or a sister go visit a convent or a monastery like Aaron did. I will say when I was in middle school, I was like, ter- I used to be terrified that God would might, like, might one day call me to be a nun because my image and my, my own vision of nuns was women who sat quietly and prayed all day and they yep. didn't do anything fun. And then I did kind of a similar thing to what you did. It was like a come and see, but we helped with their summer CCD program. And so we also lived their life 
how they did. We did everything with them. And that was my first experience with Liturgy of the Hours. That was my first experience being immersed in religious life in that community and what it was like. I've never laughed so much. It was a (laughs) joyful place to be. It completely changed my view of what living in at least that specific religious life, it completely changed my, my perspective on it. So if you felt that maybe God could be calling you, if you've never actually closed that door, go seek it out. Mm-hmm. See what might be there for you. You might find a beautiful place of joy and happiness. Exactly. Yeah. And if not, that's part of discernment too. It's not, not hurt you. You're like you're, yeah, you're not signing a lifelong contract yet. Just go on the retreat. <laughs> I think that sometimes people are afraid of having shallow reasons for not being interested in something, but like God gives us our desires. Honestly, if it's really that shallow, you're probably not. <laughs> it's really not going to matter that much. Like you, you can overcome that if you really are called to that and you really do like it. But otherwise it's like, oh, hey, like, okay. Sometimes people do help. It's like, oh, I like the color brown. I'm going to go. <laughs> and I have it to brown. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Or they're like, like, that's part of it. Just, hey, because I mean, like, if you're dating, you want to be like, like there are those different things. It's like, yeah, you want to be attracted to the things. Right. You got to be compatible. Like, yeah. You know. <laughs> yeah. Although that does make me, it's like, oh yes, I just like their habits. I'm like, like oh, that's a great reason to check them out. I'm like, that's so funny. <laughs> and that's like, like, that's never been me. I've never, but I've heard people like, oh yes, I want to check them out just because I like white. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, hopefully at some point you'll find some bigger reasons to say yes or no, but (laughs) start where you are. (laughs) Go from there. Exactly. Pray about it and be open to it. Yeah. Don't be be afraid of that discernment process. Although I will say, if you ask for answers, God will give them to you. So make sure you're ready for those answers. God Mm -hmm. does not hide his will or your vocation from me. That's what my sister learned the day that she and her fiance broke up. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. God's not trying to pull a gotcha with your, you on your vacation. And no, <laughs> it's very helpful to know. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And saying yes one time does not like automatically mean forever. It just means like, okay, this is the God saying yes now. And you are this saying is the next yes. Step. You are saying mm-hmm. yes to God for whatever it is. And yep. Yep. But yeah. Well, Aaron, thank I you have so much for being else. here with us. Yeah. Thank you guys for having me. This is just such fun to chat with you guys today. <laughs> oh I gosh. had a blast. This is so good. You guys, make sure that you are praying so much for Erin, yes. um, especially in these coming weeks before she enters the monastery. I'm so happy for you. She won't have access to her Twitter, so we're not going to I mean, we could share it, but for limited time only yeah Uh, yeah so yeah you can follow me me for a very short time depending on when this comes out at Erin Brown SMC um but that's only good until about August 14th (laughs) yeah well this will be out before then so there we go and after that uh look for the Dominican nuns of Summit New Jersey on Instagram Twitter and Facebook hey there we go 
Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing your beautiful story. I'm so excited for you. Thank Uh, you. I'm so glad that you, (laughs) that you wanted to come in and share your story with us. And yeah, we will, we will definitely be praying for you. Thank you so much. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Well, thank you guys for having me on. This is such a great time. Of course. Hey, if you guys have any, like, if you have any other questions for Erin, just like send them. For a limited amount of time. You can send them <laughs> While please. supplies last. Please like send us any feedback, rate, review us. You can DM us on Twitter or like email us or I think you can leave comments on Podbean. <laughs> send us right. any ideas you have. <laughs> yeah, we are open to it. So, all right, guys. Thank you for listening. Have a great rest of your week. We're praying for you too. We will see you next time. Bye. Thanks for stopping by Carol's Coffee House this week. We hope you found our conversations to be uplifting and inspiring. A special thanks to our friend Erin for sharing her story and wisdom. Please remember to keep her in your prayers as she moves forward in her vocation. We really appreciate all of your support and encouragement and your feedback helps us strive to bring good content to this podcast. If you have any ideas of topics you'd like to hear more about or are interested in, please reach out to us. You can find us on Twitter at carol underscore podcast, or you can email us at carolscoffeehouse at gmail.com. Have a great week and God bless.